0: It was a gruesome discovery. The body of 27-year-old Ellen Greenberg brutally stabbed to death in her apartment, her blood staining the floors and walls. Murder, right? You would think. But when they looked into it, Philadelphia police came to a different conclusion. They say she did it to herself. And if that sounds unbelievable to you, you haven't heard anything yet. Let's recap. Hi, I'm Chris. Thanks for watching True Crime Recaps. Between January 25th and 27th, 2011, 15 inches of snow battered Philadelphia and forced several school districts to declare full-scale snow emergencies. On the 26th, Ellen Greenberg, a first-grade teacher, left work early after Juniata Park Academy canceled class for the rest of the day. Her drive home wasn't easy, what with the blizzard and all. Her sixth-floor apartment was nearly a 30-minute drive from school. She shared the apartment with her fiancé, a 28-year-old TV producer named Sam Goldberg. They hunkered down to wait out the storm until about 4.45 when Sam went downstairs to use the complex gym. After a 30-minute workout, Sam came back upstairs to find himself locked out of the apartment. He told police he could crack the door, but the swing lock kept him from opening it. He screamed for Ellen and called her several times. She still had to be in the apartment since swing locks can only engage from the inside. Was this a joke? Was Ellen pulling a prank on him? At 5:32, he texted her, "Hello." No response. The rest of his messages came in a flurry until 5:54. They went like this: "Open the door. What are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello. You better have an excuse. What the f- Ah, you have no idea." Sam went downstairs to ask the security guard for help. Is there a spare key? Can he help break the lock? But he was told letting him into the locked apartment was against their policy, so Sam went back upstairs alone and forced the door open. At 6.30 p.m., he dialed 911. Take a listen.
1: Mike, my, my, I went downstairs to go work out. I came back up. The door was latched. Mike's fiance's inside. She wasn't, she wasn't answering, so... After about a half hour I decided to break it down. I see her now just on the floor with blood. She's not she's not responding. Okay, is she breathing? She, I, <laughs> look at her chest. I need you to calm down and I need you to look at her chest. It's really I don't easy. think she I really is don't think she is. Listen to me, someone's on the way. Look at her chest. Is she flat on her back? <laughs> she's on her back. Do I okay, bring her Look at her chest and tell me if it's going up and down, up and down. I don't see her moving. Okay, do you know how to do C P R? I don't. Okay, I can tell you what to do, okay, until they get there. I want you to keep her flat. Oh, on her God. Seat. Hello? Yeah, hi, okay. Are you willing to do CPR with me over the phone until they get I there. Get, I, I have to, right? Okay, so get her flat on her back, bare her chest, okay? You want to rip her shirt off? Oh, shit. Okay. You heel down by her side. Oh, my God. Allie, please. Listen, listen. You can't freak out, sir. because Okay, I'm, trying, to not to, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not Her shirt won't come off. It's a zipper. Rip oh, my up. God. She stabbed herself. Where? She fell on a knife. Oh, no. Her knife's sticking out. A what? There's a knife sticking out of her heart. Oh, uh, she stabbed herself? I, can't, I guess so. I don't know where she fell on it. I don't know. Okay, well, don't touch it. Okay, so i just about to let her down here now. I mean, what do I do? No, I mean, you can't. If the knife is at her chest, it's going to be kind of hard for you to do
0: CPR at this time. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Ellen lay slumped on the kitchen floor, leaning against the corner cabinet. Blood pooled around her body. Police arrived and pronounced her dead at 640. She suffered 20 stab wounds, 10 in her back, including the back of her neck and her scalp. At least one reached her spinal cord. There were several wounds in her chest, including her liver and stomach, and the kitchen knife Sam spotted was stuck four inches into her heart. She gripped a clean white towel in her left hand, her glasses were on the floor, and a hair scrunchie was around her wrist. Other than the blood around her body, there were no signs of any struggle. Nothing around the apartment appeared disturbed. No sign of a robbery. Nothing. And what about the front door? It was locked from the inside with a swing bolt, like the kind you find in hotel rooms. The killer must have snuck in through the window, attacked Ellen, and then crept back out after locking the door. But sneaking in through the sixth floor window? That doesn't seem too practical, does it? Not to mention several inches of snow on the narrow balcony outside their apartment. The killer would have left footprints or some noticeable trace, right? When they checked, the snow on the balcony was undisturbed. According to homicide detective Sergeant Tim Cooney, everything that happened to Ellen happened in that kitchen. The rest of the apartment was pretty unremarkable. And for those reasons, Ellen's death was ruled a suicide right then and there. As far as the Philadelphia homicide detectives were concerned, Ellen stabbed herself 20 times, mostly in the back of her neck, and then left the knife sticking out of her chest as she slid to the ground. If you don't think that adds up, don't worry. Nobody else does either. The next morning, her body arrived at the city morgue where Marlon Osborne, the assistant medical examiner, examined the body. He labeled each of her stab wounds, starting with the letter A. He ended at T. She suffered eight wounds to her chest, Most of them were only a few centimeters deep, with the final 4-inch wound coming from the embedded knife. There was a 2-inch wound in her abdomen and a a 25 inch gash along her scalp. Things get weirder when we look at the 10 stab wounds on the back of her neck. Two were 3 inches deep, while the others only made it a few centimeters. The most critical neck wound struck her spinal cord between the 2nd and 3rd vertebrae. According to the report, Dr. Lucy Rourke, a lifelong neuropathologist, determined Ellen's spinal cord was still intact. The ME also noticed 11 bruises that he described as in various stages of resolution on her right arm, leg, and abdomen. Did she get in a fight in the past few days? Her toxicology report found trace amounts of the prescription drugs they noticed in the bedroom. Given the number and location of Ellen's stab wounds... The ME overruled the police's original suicide theory. This was a homicide. Her parents, Josh and Sandra Greenberg, were in the middle of making funeral arrangements when they heard the news. It was no suicide. Someone had murdered their daughter. Unfortunately, they got the news secondhand through a friend who'd seen it on TV. For the next decade, communication between the Greenbergs and the Philadelphia Police Department would be like pulling teeth. Friends and family gathered at Beth L. Temple in Harrisburg, about two hours west of the city. Her father ended his heartfelt eulogy, then addressed the news surrounding Ellen's death. He looked at the crowd of mournful faces and said, You may have heard Ellen killed herself, but her death has just been ruled a homicide. The room fell quiet. After the M.E. called her death a homicide, her case was officially transferred to the Philadelphia Homicide Unit, a unit that dealt with 324 homicides in 2011, awarding Philly the title of highest murder rate per capita. They dug into Sam's story and reviewed video evidence from the building's lobby. His timetable, key fob, and gym attire all lined up. By the 29th, detectives had turned their attention toward Ellen's mental health issues and a series of odd behavioral changes between December and January. Josh and Sandra recalled their once bubbly daughter was suddenly anxious and unsettled. She told her parents work was stressing her out. And who could blame her? A classroom full of rowdy first graders probably isn't the most relaxing environment in the world. But she'd been teaching there for three years. This was nothing new. Ellen's cousin and good friend, Debbie Schwab, backed up the parents' story. Ellen went from being one of the happiest people she knew to being riddled with anxiety. Whenever Debbie asked if something was wrong, she would only respond with long silences, ultimately saying she didn't want to talk about it. But one of Ellen's co-workers at Juniata Park told a different story. Sure, Ellen had some stressful kids in her class, but... Who doesn't? To her, Ellen didn't seem any more stressed than any other teacher at the academy. Perhaps it was an issue at home. Think about how often you openly complain about your job to your friends and parents. It's cathartic, isn't it? If the source of Ellen's stress was school, a.k.a. her job, why would she be so reluctant to talk about it? Before she died, sometime in late December or early January... Ellen told her parents she wanted to move back home to Harrisburg. Something was eating away at her, and the comfort and safety of home sounded like the best idea. But Ellen had a life in Philly, a life she couldn't just drop and leave behind. She lived in a luxury apartment with her fiancé. She had a stable teaching job. She had a wedding to plan. All three were reasons enough to stay, but... All three could have easily been reasons enough to run away as well. Instead of moving back home, Josh and Sandra suggested she see a psychiatrist first. Ellen booked three appointments with Dr. Ellen Berman, where she complained about feeling overwhelmed by work, though she never expressed any suicidal thoughts. She spoke highly of Sam and never uttered a bad word about him, even smiling when she mentioned his name. Dr. Berman asked about any problems with Sam at home, and Ellen denied both verbal and physical abuse. In Dr. Berman's opinion, she suffered from severe anxiety, so she prescribed clonopin and Ambien to treat her anxiety and help her get some sleep at night. Regarding possible side effects, both drugs list suicidal thoughts. On January 8th, Ellen texted her mother that she'd started her new meds. She said, I know you don't understand, but I can't keep feeling this way. On the 17th, Ellen texted again saying the Clonopin helped, thank God. Sandra replied saying she was happy for her. On the eve of Ellen's death, Sandra urged her to see a professional once again, and Ellen replied saying she was trying but was scared a bit for everything. 24 hours later, she was dead. 23 days after her body was found, the police contradicted the medical examiner and officially ruled it a suicide. By April, the ME had been convinced to change his official ruling to match theirs. Suicide it was. What did the OJ Simpson trial, the JFK assassination, and Ellen Greenberg's death have in common? Something just doesn't add up. Enter Dr. Cyril Wecht, forensic pathologist, and the man who famously challenged the single-bullet theory surrounding the death of President Kennedy. The Greenbergs were getting tired of going back and forth with the PPD, the ME's office, and homicide detectives, so they brought their daughter's autopsy report and pictures from the crime scene and sent them to Cyril. He dug as deep as he could, though he lacked a key piece of the bigger puzzle. Detective Cooney's files. In Cyril's expert opinion, he didn't understand how they wrote this off as a suicide. According to his report, when people take their own lives with a knife, they usually cut their throat or wrists. At the very least, they remove their clothes and stab directly through their skin. But Ellen was fully clothed when Sam found her, and her shirt was full of holes. The knife in her chest plunged through her zippered shirt and the t-shirt underneath. Murder, on the other hand, usually involves multiple stab wounds to the torso, stomach, and back, which is consistent with Ellen's case. Then there's the question of her neck wounds. Five of the wounds went from left to right, three were straight through her neck, and two went from right to left. This pattern suggests Ellen, if she did it to herself, held the knife in her left hand and stabbed herself ten times in the neck, moving from left to right. With Cyril's report in hand, Josh and Sandra enlisted all the help they could get. The dream team included a civil rights attorney, a former Pennsylvania attorney general, a 25-year veteran of the police department, and the forensic scientist OJ's dream team used for his defense. While the legal eagles handled the courts, the former cop dug into the evidence. In his opinion, the lack of defense wounds doesn't necessarily mean suicide. In fact, He'd seen many stabbing victims over 25 years without defense wounds. For reference, defensive wounds include slashes to the hands and forearms, occurring when the victim tries to shield themselves from the attack or grab the knife. Ellen could have died in what's called a blitz attack, when the assault happens so quickly they can't defend themselves. The team also raised more questions about the knife wound that could have damaged her spinal cord. The original ME report included a line from Dr. Lucy Rourke saying there wasn't any spinal cord damage. The team pressed her about that conclusion, but she didn't remember working on Ellen's case. In fact, they couldn't find any record in her files that indicates she ever saw the body. In 2011, Dr. Lucy worked on a contractual basis with the medical examiner's office. And that means whenever the ME needed neuropathology work, they'd hire her to look at the body, file a report, and she'd invoice for the service. That invoice would contain every detail about the case, including the case number, the deceased's name, and the date. Lucy kept pretty airtight records. In her opinion, if there was no invoice and nothing in the case file, then she never saw Ellen's body. There's still a remote possibility that she did see it, though she can't say for sure. Years went by without answers until a twist of fate led the family's PI to a crucial piece of evidence. There was still a piece of Ellen's spinal cord in storage at the Emmy's office, the same piece that would have been damaged by the knife. He contacted yet another forensic pathologist, Wayne Ross, who looked at the spinal cord and reviewed Ellen's case. In his opinion, the knife cut through her cranial cavity and severed the nerves and brain. And That kind of damage would cause excruciating pain, enough to make her black out. Therefore, if she severed her spinal cord, it would be impossible for her to stab herself one final time in the chest. The wounds and bloodstain patterns were consistent, With a homicide. As for the locked door, let's dig into that a little more. The initial case report implies the building security guard was with Sam when he broke it open, but he wasn't. He was the only one working that day and he couldn't leave his desk in the lobby. Sam was alone when he found her body. The confusion was part of the reason her death was ruled a suicide. There are no cameras on the residential floors. According to the family's investigators, Sam is the only one who knows what happened before and after he entered the gym. Even with their dream team armed to the teeth with expert testimony and opinion, her parents were stonewalled every time they moved to reopen the case. They found a stroke of luck when one of the team won his district attorney election. To avoid a conflict of interest, he referred the case to the Pennsylvania Attorney General in February of 2018. After conducting what they called a thorough investigation, a spokesman for the AG's office provided the Philadelphia inquirer with several google searches found on ellen's computer between december 18th and january 10th 2011 they included keywords like suicide methods painless suicide suffocation and quick suicide. Her father found it odd that Ellen would Google painless suicide, then stab herself 20 times. Another tech expert agreed. He claimed those results were what's called phantom results. She was Googling side effects of new medication, looking for information about weight gain, and the suicide stuff came up along with it. Most people look to the boyfriend, fiance, or husband as the primary suspect in these cases. But... There was never any indication that Sam was harming or abusing her. She spoke very highly of him, but her father had other thoughts. While appearing on the true crime podcast, Crime Junkie, he told the hosts that Ellen was being abused. She just didn't know how to tell her parents. His opinion lines up with the bruises found on her arm and leg. Bruises that were in various stages of healing when the ME examined the body, meaning they didn't happen when she allegedly killed herself. As for Sam's text messages, domestic violence author Barry Goldstein had a problem with message number five. You better have an excuse. To Barry, this message was a red flag and a sign of coercive control. In his mind, Sam set the rules in their relationship and punished her if she disobeyed. Sam himself has never spoken publicly about Ellen's death and has declined most interviews with the media. He married a different woman in January 2014, almost three years to the day ellen killed herself the greenbergs must have felt like all hope was lost like nobody believed their side of the story Then, on August eleventh, 2022, the district attorney's office agreed to reopen Ellen's case, breathing new hope into her parents' quest for answers. In an interview with Nancy Grace, the Greenbergs and their investigative team brought new evidence that could blow the whole thing wide open. According to Lindsay Emery, a pathologist in the ME's office, several of Ellen's wounds didn't show signs of hemorrhaging, meaning she was already dead when they happened. Since a dead woman can't stab herself, it raises one simple question. Who killed Ellen Greenberg? Nancy Grace turned her attention back towards Sam, as did the family. After repeatedly listening to his 911 call, they couldn't help feeling like he rehearsed the whole thing. There are pieces of it that sound authentic and pieces that sound scripted. Sam was a TV producer, after all. Now, confirmation bias is a slippery slope. While Ellen's death is undoubtedly suspicious, one needs physical proof that Sam is guilty of anything before he's accused. But the family keeps searching for answers wherever they pop up. It's been over a decade since Ellen's passing. In her father's words, we're not going to let this go. What do you think happened to that apartment? And that's your recap. Thanks
1: for hanging out with us today.
0: If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story.
1: But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now.
0: Until next time, take care.